Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Today's episode is brought to you by Deloitte Digital. Stay tuned after the podcast for insights on elevating the human experience. Hi, you're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, the Adweek podcast where we talk about marketing, media, tech, advertising, and pop culture. Because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm not David Greiner. I'm Nicole Ortiz, Adweek senior editor, where I oversee our guest contributions and our voice channel. This week, we're doing a special Black History Month-themed podcast where we're talking with five industry experts about Black History Month and how to further the conversation based on articles they wrote for us in the past. If you have any questions after the show, you can always hit us up via email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, this is Nicole Ortiz again, and I'm continuing our conversations with some voice authors who have written Black History Month pieces for us. Uh, Today, I'm talking with Frederick Joseph, who is an author and marketer, and he wrote a story for us uh, actually last year in our February 25th issue. It was called To Make Diversity Effective in Marketing, It Needs to Be Inclusive. Hi, Frederick. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Nicole. How's it going? Good. Uh, So we're going to just jump right into your article, and can you just kind of Give our listeners a little bit of a rundown of what you wrote wrote about. Yeah, absolutely. So last year, um, I wrote an article that basically um, discussed the differences between diversity and inclusion, especially as it pertains to marketing. Um, We've seen in the past that uh, brands such as Gucci and H&M, amongst others, have had moments um, of really bad PR, to say the least, (laughs) over um, things that they've done that have been called racist in their marketing or product design. Uh, And I think that a lot of that could be alleviated if they would get the right people in the room um, helping make decisions. So I wrote about that. Yeah, totally. It's kind of like the idea of taking these words as buzzwords and putting them into action, actually. Precisely. So uh, one of the things you note in your article is that the question marketers ask shouldn't be if they should market to diverse audiences, but how? What are some of the ways that you think brands can do this and put it into action? Well, I think a really good example um, happened recently, or maybe a bad example. Um, (laughs) But uh, Barnes & Noble's uh, partnered with... We covered that. (laughs) Yeah, they they partnered with, um, I forget which publishing house, um, not mine, uh, but, um, (laughs) you know, and, and they took classic novels like Moby Dick and Frankenstein And they changed the covers for Black History Month um, to make them more diverse and, as they said, inclusive um, by putting – by changing the characters um, and the imagery to black characters and black imagery. Um, Mm -hmm. The the issue um, in that is that, for one, um, the people still getting paid for these stories are not – 
black and brown people. They're still the original mm-hmm. white writers. Uh, the second issue is that there's plenty of black authors and narratives that they could have platformed that are struggling um, at times uh, to make sales, right? So that's one of those moments, uh, for instance, where, yes, you were trying to market uh, to diverse audiences, which is great, but the issue is that what you're doing is tokenizing um, for capitalistic gain, right? You're not actually creating um, a moment of change. You're just creating a moment for change in your pocket. So. Yeah, totally. I that was such a confusing confusing thing to see happen and right in the beginning of the month as well. I guess as it always is. <laughs> yeah, I you know, I it's it's hard for me to wrap my mind around um other than if you're not if you if you're not from certain communities, right? Like like I'm mm-hmm. not from the LGBTQ plus community, um, but I try my best to support. But I do understand that if I'm creating narratives or marketing campaigns that are supposed to be aligned with that community, you need people with lived experience to speak to what you're doing, right? And yeah. tell you where the pitfalls are and things of that nature. And I just don't think a lot of brands are doing that. Yeah, I agree. I feel like there's a line between allyship and tokenism and a lot of people are overstepping it in some way or another. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's a yeah, that's that might even under un, uh, overstepping it is sometimes an understatement. <laughs> yeah, true. The <laughs> jumping. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you also point to how having a diverse team of decision makers is essential for brands to resonate with the right on- audiences in an authentic way. So, what are some examples of brands that are doing this the right way and I guess some who are doing it the wrong way? Well, I think a brand that just got it very right um, was Dove. So um, there was a story about a young man who was told that if unless he cut his hair, he has um, dreads. Um, unless he cut his hair, he couldn't walk um, the uh, at graduation at his high school graduation. Right. Um, so not only did Dove hear about this, but um, you know my good friend Oscar winner now uh, Matthew Cherry, um, who directed. Um, the animated short uh, Hair Love heard about it, Um, and so did Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade. So what they did was, um, and since he couldn't walk at graduation, uh, they had him walk at the Oscars with Matthew. Um, And then Dove um, actually has, you know, if I'm not mistaken, they've created a a whole marketing campaign around loving one's hair. And um, and they've included um, real people from the community to give perspective um, on that. And, 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 you know, and that's just brilliant. It, it, it's a, it's a, not only a call to action um, for people to stop treating people certain ways around their hair, but it also creates brand awareness for Dove. And, you know, now I'm like, well, when I go to Target, I'll be buying Doves. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And I feel like it's also a good sign, I guess, for marketers that, like, you can have something go wrong. Like, because Dove did a few years ago where they had that one soap ad um, where it looked like a woman was washing, like a black woman was washing her skin and then turning into a white woman. And that was a few years ago. And I remember people getting really upset about that. But it doesn't need to only, that doesn't have to be the only narrative. Like, you can misstep and you can, like, really step in it and then you can kind of be like, okay, we recognize we screwed up. Here's how we're going to like make it a good 
story in the end. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I think that if you do misstep or jump off the ledge um, <laughs> that much, then then you have it. Um, you have a duty to course correct, right? And yeah, and to totally. course correct in a really big um, way. And I think that they did that. You know, I, I, another example, um, in my opinion has been seen, you can see it with some of his presidential campaigns, right? Mm -hmm. So um, during the Super Bowl, I saw that uh, uh, Mike Bloomberg actually had an ad um, against gun violence and over-policing of, you know, black and brown people, so on and so forth. Right. Which felt, you know, disingenuous because of the fact that historically, when he was mayor of New York City, he was a major proponent of one of the most racist and and xenophobic... um, programs in history with stop and frisk right yeah so you know i don't know who's around him for instance but you know campaigns are marketing and they are branding exercises and um i would have told him yeah this is not you know you might not want to lean into this narrative but so much especially if you don't call yourself out for your past um endeavors right like it's it's just kind of strange that he kind of is just leaning into this new narrative and ignoring how terrible stop and frisk was because I mean, as somebody who's, like, from the New York area, it's just—it was horrific, and it was such a big part of the conversation, like, growing up, and, like, it was something that everybody talked about. People were always kind of, like, anxious about it, and then to just ignore that and be like, but look— I, I'm helping now is just a little strange and inauthentic to me. Exactly. I mean, inauthentic, um, strange, and, um, <laughs> and opportunistic. Yeah, totally. That's a good word for it. Um, And that also, like, makes me think about another point with, like, what we saw in the Super Bowl this year with uh, Bloomberg and with also Trump's ad. They – this was something that – I forget. Someone had brought it up uh, while we were, like, kind of watching the Super Bowl ads. But the fact that both – there were only two presidential candidate ads in the Super Bowl and both were white men using the stories of black people – to kind of amplify their message. And, like, it just felt so gross and left such an icky taste in our mouths, like, as we were watching it. Like, really, guys? Come on. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and, you know, Donald Trump um, (laughs) and his history of, uh, you know, bigotry and his branded bigotry, um, leveraging um, the tokenization of black bodies, black lives, um, to further his agenda is a prime example um, you know, and, and mm-hmm. but I think that that was purposeful, right? That's not, yeah, that's not, you know, was. that's not a matter of inclusion. That's a matter of definitely wanting that to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. He's trying to get a vote here. It's exactly. Um, and I guess to close this out, uh, how do you feel that we can further this conversation and move away from having diversity and inclusion just be buzzwords that brands like maybe during Black History Month, they do one campaign and then for the rest of the year, they're kind of silent well i I think it's a matter of um bringing people in hiring people you know i can um attest to you know for myself um you know while i've leaned into um being an author now um as someone who's been lucky enough to get a book deal and working on a second one right now as a marketer (laughs) thank you um as a marketer i have an mba um in marketing um you know i've been added to the the forbes list for 30 under 30 marketers, so on and so forth. I'm written for ad week, um, a few times and I have in the past still with all those things had trouble, um, getting a position, right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, people, 
I've been passed over for other um, people who might have been more marginalized, maybe um, a black and gay man or, you know, something along those lines, Mm -hmm. um, as if diversity inclusion is just um, a matter of checking a box. Um, So you can't have two. As long as you have one, you're fine. And that's a major that's a major issue, um, because I do think that being really blunt, um, oftentimes people from people who are on the margins, um, we don't get the opportunities even for doing two to three times more work, right? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, really people making um, a concerted effort to, to hire us. Yeah, it has to come from like the top down. Otherwise, you won't see it in the campaigns. I mean, I feel like that's something that every, every, per, every article about diversity and inclusion says this, but I don't feel like it's fully sunk in yet for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, it hasn't sunk in, and, and I don't, and frankly, I don't know that it will. You know, when you have a moment yeah. like uh, the Gucci um, issue where they had the um, it, the the kind of blackface. Uh, oh, from last year, right? They had like a blackface sweater, I think, and sort of Prada did something like that too. Exactly. But the thing that does come about that is, uh, they were in the media, right? And <laughs> and so, you know, at the end of the day, there's a certain amount of earned media that comes from doing terrible things. So I'm not sure at times if it's not, you know, a, a thing that's on purpose, actually. But, you know, that's... I'll yeah. Ne- yeah, I'll never be able to know necessarily. Yeah, like an all press is good press kind of mentality. All, good, all news is good news. All press is good press. Yep. It all leads to clicks, I it, guess, in ex- the end. Exactly. And that's what the people want. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess that's all that I have right now for this article. Is there anything else that you want to kind of close us out with? Uh, you know, I just think once again, um, we have to uh, force brands to put people on the margins in positions as decision makers. It's not enough. Um, to check a box. It's not enough to just say someone's in the room. You have to actually give the person um, the power to say yes or no, um, to really influence the direction of campaigns, the direction of um, narratives, of storytelling. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Well, thank you again for joining us and for talking with us about your article. And uh, if you haven't read Frederick's article, it is from last year, but you can find it in our voice channel. It's called To Make Diversity Effective in Marketing, It Needs to Be Inclusive. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. Our second guest is going to be Dr. Monique Bell, an associate professor of marketing at California State University in Fresno. She wrote an article for us titled Advancing Diversity in Advertising Starts in the Classroom. Hi, I'm Nicole Ortiz, and I am Adweek's senior editor, and I oversee our opinion channel and our trending column in the magazine. This week, we're going to be doing like a Black History Month-focused episode, and we're going to be talking to a few of our voice writers about articles that they wrote this Black History Month and last Black History Month. So to start us off, we're going to be talking with Dr. Monique Bell, who is an associate professor of marketing at California State University in Fresno. Hi, Monique. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So Monique wrote an article for us last week called Advancing Diversity in Advertising Starts in the Classroom. Monique, can you kind of run us through like what was your inspiration behind writing this piece and what your piece was about? Sure. Um, Well, as a professor of marketing, um, I kind of got here accidentally. 
And it was really through the encouragement of um, different organizations that I mentioned in the article that really spurred me to even consider being a professor. And so I wanted, during this Black History Month, I wanted to highlight um, some of those folks, some of those pioneering um, academics who really forged a path for people like me to now be professors and believe have the capacity and the cap- capability to be professors. Um, and I really wanted to show the link between there being uh, faculty members of color and there being um, growth and diversity in advertising um, and more broadly in marketing and beyond. Mm-hmm. And when you say you kind of got here by accident, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I was actually um, an English major in undergraduate. Um, Ooh, me too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at Morgan State <laughs> University in Baltimore. And I um, went on from there to study communications design. Um, and during both of those um, periods of study, I got marketing internships. And that's when I learned about marketing as a potential career. And I just fell in love with it. Um, I just happened to be reading a magazine, Black Enterprise, which is all about um, African-Americans in business and entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And I saw an ad for the PhD project, which allowed you to attend, to apply and attend a conference that they have each year to learn about being a professor in business. Um, And so on a whim, I just decided, okay, I'll apply. And if it happens, it happens. Um, So I applied, I was accepted, and I was introduced to the PhD project. And um, really my future as an academic and, and having a support network of people who would um, help me along the way to achieve that PhD, PhD, which can be a grueling four to five to six year <laughs> process. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, so no really aspirations of being a business professor, um, but just that small spark um, really got me going in this direction. That's great. And in your article, you kind of run through a few of marketing's hidden figures in academia. Can you kind of run us through in the podcast some of those people and what they what you think they're doing to kind of further, um, I guess, the conversation? Sure. So, yeah, I wanted to focus on some of those pioneers. Um, So one of them is Dr. Thaddeus Spratlin, who became the first African-American professor at the University of Washington Business School. Um, And so just, you know, simply being able to become an academic in the 1950s and 60s was in itself just an act of, you know, advocacy, resistance, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just that fact in itself of being able to um, go into that environment. I really wanted to celebrate folks like him. Also, um, Jerome Williams, who's currently at Rutgers University um, and actually was acting as provost at, um, at one point. Um, but not only his presence, um, in that case, he also began to study how marketing um, and marketing policies um, and the written and unwritten policies were affecting Black consumers. And so he studied discrimination. Um, He studied multicultural marketing at a time when many people weren't really giving much mind to that. And so he injected Mm. that. um, He injected that um, advocacy and and interest into how marketing is uh, both positively and negatively impacting communities of color. That's really pivotal. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, without there being 
um, black faculty there in the academy, it's likely that many of those issues would never be um, discovered or uncovered. Um, so again, just by the mere presence of having black faculty, it can really um, change the landscape and, and allow us to start asking and answering questions about um, how business is affecting communities of color. Yeah, that's yeah, a good point. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, I also talk some of my own sh- about some of my own sheroes um, <laughs> in the marketing academy. Um, one of whom we lost recently, which is Geraldine Henderson. Um, she worked at a number of different universities, most recently at Loyola, Loyola University, Chicago. Um, and again, she was someone else who infused that um, air of social justice into her marketing scholarship. I feel like that stuff is like to to push it forward. You have to be kind of an advocate as well as an academic. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Because, you know, it's only been recently that I've given myself um, permission in quotes to study race related issues. And, And, you know, I'm here. 50 years after Dr. Spratlin and the others paved the way, but I'm still kind of fighting with myself. Like, is this a legitimate area of scholarship? And of course, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. But um, oftentimes within the ivory tower of ac- academia, um, it's seen as kind of a, um, a nice to have, not something that's necessary work. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I feel like that's definitely the same in so many industries. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just see like people, even like as a woman, people will be like, oh, well, we don't need to ask those questions. But of course, you're going to be thinking about them. And they're always kind of in your head and you're taught from such a young age, like, oh, we don't talk about that. It's just, it's just there. It's under the 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 surface. Right. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, And so I think that's why um, in in lots of different fields, it's important that you have those diverse voices who can ask those questions or bring those points to light, particularly in advertising. When you see so many recently, um, so many faux pas happening in the ad execution, (laughs) it's like, who was in the room when this happened? (laughs) No one said anything. Yeah, I know. I feel like every year we see something and particularly like we see these missteps during months like Black History yes. Month and Hispanic Heritage Month where we're like, really? Yes. Like, during this month is when you wanted to do that? <laughs> right. <Are you> sure? <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I just I think that speaks to, again, having this kind of downstream effect. If you have black or other faculty of color in the classroom, um, you're impacting Uh, both black students and non-black students, um, for one, giving black students the courage and the belief that they can continue on and be successful and giving that exposure to non-black students to have those difficult um, conversations, particularly in, um, you know, a space like a college campus where you're supposed to exchange ideas and learn and grow. Mm -hmm. And then from there on, there they go on to their careers and they can kind of carry that with them. So hopefully the companies that they work for um, or the companies that they start won't experience those same kind of missteps that we continually see. Yeah. And I feel like it's interesting because in my own college experience, I think about all the things and kind of the freedom I was given to challenge things and push back on things. And then you get into the the working world and you go to your first full-time job and you're like, can I still do that here? Like, right. are they going to 
are they going to hate me? Like, <laughs> you, ha- you have to, like, kind of read the room in a way that you didn't have to for those four to however long you were in college for years. And it's it's kind of like a culture shock. But I feel like just knowing that you have those thoughts in your head and, like, finding the avenues to be able to push a conversation forward, even if it's not as, like, overtly as you would in college where right. you're like, hey, I have a question. I'm going to challenge this concept right now yes like there are other ways to do it as well absolutely that's absolutely true um in some cases it'll just take a bit of courage maybe finding a mentor even Mm -hmm. going back to those faculty that you had you know um uh, i think most students feel like once you graduate we're you know done with our involvement with you but no we want to see what's going on in your career we want to help you and continue to advise you so um also reach back to those faculty and you know they can help you and give you some insights on how to have those conversations or provide you with research that backs up whatever um whatever whatever is on your mind or is a concern for you yeah yeah that's a good point to like reiterate i've always felt kind of weird reaching out to old professors, but every friend that I have who's a teacher or a professor, they're like, no, please do. We love that. We really love hearing (laughs) compliments and hearing about your journeys. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. We can kind of get mired in our own work and just, you know, the um, frenzy of each new semester. So it really is a, um, a bonus of the job to see Um, students that you've had go on and do great things and to have them come back to the classroom. And then again, they can then be mentors and kind of role models for those new crop of students. Yeah, the cycle will just kind of keep continuing in that way. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, I guess to close us out, do you have any kind of advice for current students or recent graduates who are kind of navigating the advertising and marketing world right now? that can maybe help them push conversations in their workplace and how they can maybe go about having some of these more difficult conversations? Yeah, I think it's important that you take a really honest look at the culture that you're in, um, in whatever field that you're working. Just take an honest look at the culture, um, and that'll give you some insights into how you um, can proceed with pushing the conversation forward. Um so in one case, it might be very, um, you know, a very flat organization where they're used to um, people, no matter what your title is, you know, contributing to the conversation. Of course, in that situation, you'll have an easier time um, if it's a, another type of situation that's kind of more hierarchical, um, where you might want to have the conversation with your direct supervisor first, then kind Ooh. of go up the chain. So it's really about evaluating um the company culture that you're in. But I would say, um, you know, just be brave. There's enough examples um, that you can point to to show why this matters, why it matters mm-hmm. to um, be diverse and be inclusive. And you can see that from those um, kind of missteps, those examples. Companies don't want to face that. They don't want to have their names in the headlines for doing something that was offensive or controversial. Um they want to get it right. And so if you can position uh, your thoughts and your opinions and your contribution in a way that's all about the company, um, your supervisors or your colleagues should be willing to listen. And ultimately, um, you do the best you can. You be brave. You raise those questions and have those conversations. Um, but if you see that it doesn't, uh, the company that you're in doesn't really 
isn't really responsive or isn't um, open to hearing that type of advice, then you can look for other companies as well. So don't feel like you're locked mm-hmm. in. Definitely don't yeah, feel like you're locked flag. in. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Okay, well, great. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, for everyone listening, please definitely go to our website and check out Monique's article, Advancing Diversity and Advertising Starts in the Classroom. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Today's episode is brought to you by Deloitte Digital. Stay tuned as Tim Grulick, Managing Director at Deloitte Digital, shares new research about the relationships customers really want with brands. Our next guest is Trevor Robinson. He's the founder of the agency Quiet Storm based in the UK. He wrote an article for us last year called A Brief Rundown of Racism Within Advertising and Why It's Still Happening Today. This article is actually one of our most popular from 2019 in our top three of all voice articles. Hi, Trevor. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Nicole. Pleased to hear your voice. <laughs> um, and we're going to be talking about an article that Trevor wrote for us last year, It's called, which is called A Brief Rundown of Racism Within Advertising and Why It's Still Happening Today. And one of the interesting things about this article is that it's one of our more most popular uh, opinion pieces that we've ever published. It is I, – I did a rundown of our top articles from 2019 – uh, in December, and it was in the top three. So it consistently gets like it like hits peaks every month where people are consistently looking at this article year round. It's not something that that just only peaks during Black History Month or only peaked when it was first published. It's a consistent like hard hitter for us. So uh, Trevor, what do you think it is about this piece that? causes people to come back to our site regularly in droves to read it like this? Um, I'm not sure because, I mean, to be honest, because I'm, I'm very rarely reread something that I was involved with or watch something that I've been on myself. I, I understand mean, that. It would <laughs> be incredibly narcissistic to, to do that. Well, I've some <laughs> friends who would do that. But um, um, I, would, I would say on the outside, not knowing anybody who's, read this and you know or quizzed them on it i would say it's probably just to get a gauge and to be curious about what's this uh, um you know and to make sure if it was me i would use it as a gauge to work out if some of my work is suspect or not mm-hmm. and it's and i was curious about what this english black chap is on about as well <laughs> So I, I guess those factors would come into it for me because, I mean, I think nobody, I don't think there's people out there who want to be racist. I think they don't even realise that they, 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 they have been, you know. So I think, if anything, people just being quite cautious and using it as a, as a gauge and mm-hmm. perhaps saying as, you know, just to, to make sure they're not going into some murky water with their work, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, It's kind of like a reality check in that way uh, to, like, keep themselves consistent and make sure they don't have any missteps. Yeah, because, I mean, often I, especially when I'm doing work for that is not um, aimed at me, which is practically all the time, (laughs) I I spend a lot of time in researching it and spend a lot of time. And even then you can get it wrong. So as much conversation, as much touch points as possible, I think will always help. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and 
as the title kind of states, it's a it's a rundown of like some of the history behind like spots that were kind of racist and um, how we're still seeing things like last year's Gucci and Prada scandals happening. We had the Barnes and Noble thing that happened just this year. Um, so do you think like the average marketer or consumer even knows about this part of the industry's history? I think it's, um, yeah, I, I think if it's not aimed at you, if, if you're not the target audience, you can be a little bit insensitive towards, um, towards like, for instance, um, over here, there was an, an ad, uh, um, uh, uh, um, an ad which was run in, um, Chicken houses and mm. burger shops aimed at. Did you hear about this? Aimed no, at. No, I um, haven't. The the, um, the black community about knife and gun crime. Um, oh. the, I had my brother and a few people, a few from the black community, immediately call me up and ask me who did this and how outrageous. Because so the black community is a bit of a cliche and uh, and a racist slur to suggest. We spend our time sitting in KFC uh, or various um, um, chicken shops and with our knives out and stuff. Wow. So it's kind of like it was meant to be aimed at potential people who might get themselves in, in trouble in this area. And it, it had a horrendous backlash. Apparently, it was some research stating that um, uh, people from an African-Caribbean background like chicken, but I think you could say that about most races, really. Yeah, truly. Got and to suggest that most white people sit around in those kind of places, you would be outraged by. But um, I think it backfired pretty badly. So I think that would never have happened if there was somebody from the Afro-Caribbean community, a part of that creative process, a part of the strategy, they would just go, no way, don't do that. And I think yeah. that's the problem with the Gucci. Sounds like they don't have anybody even to give it a sense check and just kind of go, this could offend some people. Blackface mm -hmm. could go down badly, even though I find that extremely crazy. That, like um, obvious. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> you would hope, I guess. Yeah, but obviously, I mean, like, they, they still get it wrong. The football's got it wrong recently with... Um, with the, the monkey um, 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 advert that was meant to be their um, anti-racism, um, um, where they had the Chinese monkey, I believe, the black monkey and the and the, and the white monkey, and it Which was, was this for? This was for the Italian league um, to stop the um, racism within the. They have a, not surprisingly, they have a very bad racism problem out there, mm. and they. The, the, the body there in their wisdom for to get an artist who's known for drawing monkeys is was as part of his art to create this poster and so this poster obviously went down pretty badly throughout the world not just italy probably went yeah. down all right but throughout the world when we saw it we just couldn't we were open mouth we couldn't believe somebody actually had not only done this, commissioned this, made this, got this out there in the world. And that, again, feels like I don't think there was a black person in the house to um, supervise that particular ad. Yeah, that sounds kind of like what should be an obvious 
uh, no-no, I guess, <laughs> something to avoid. And it, it kind of reminds me of the, did you hear about, um, this was a few years back, H&M had, um, a, a, for their kids' line, they showed a little black boy wearing a shirt that had a monkey on it, and it said, like, yeah, yeah so it's kind of reminiscent of that one. This That one, to be honest, that's, like, um, some poor taste in terms of the comment that he was put on. This mm -hmm. feels really badly premeditated, kind of, hey, why don't we... Why don't we use monkeys as a as an analogy to show that we're all the same color? You know, yeah. it's just the same person. But it's just really that to me is far more premeditated and yeah. stupid and and scary, really, that the people in it just don't get it, just don't get what it means to um to be of color and what it means to to um be in this modern day society where most people will look at that and just go, whoever's done this is really, um, really confused. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely more heavy-handed than the H&M uh, thing. And do, how do you think that, like, a brand, if they do something like that, uh, how do you think they could bounce back? Or, like, what would be the proper steps for them to take when they do something that comes across as real? Like, when they make a misstep, how could they then make um, an authentic change? They should run out there to try mm -hmm. and do a, a change straight off. I think they just need to change their own household, really. They need to get some people of a diverse background, marketeers, um, intelligent people who can help them, can guide them, and also inspire the work. Because I think the work obviously feels like this comes from a very um, select group of people Mm -hmm. with this headset, with this piece of work. So it doesn't feel like it's a real reflection of society, a real reflection of the... I mean, over here, we. I think... Um, I know you're going to ask me this a bit later on, but I, I don't mind saying I think Nike does a good job and Ikea does a, an extremely good job of reflecting oh, yeah. the... The new Ikea ad over here has gone down really well. I love the work that Nike has done with Nike Church where they, they, they went and renovated those church in those hostile Chicago um, courts where people were being shot and they redeveloped the church so they could have indoor safe um, uh, basketball courts. And mm. I thought that was a really clever way of reflecting the, 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 um, the community that you're trying to sell your product to. And it wasn't heavily branded Nike. It just felt like a really clever way of... of you know, mirroring the society that you're you're maneuvering and that you're trying to sell your products to. Because, um, and I think that's what they need. And I, I believe you, you need to have people who's within these communities that understand these target audience that's working on these projects. And I think you're gonna you're gonna start seeing work that will get a, whoever's done this knows us really knows us, and that's not the case at all for lots of people and I think that's the problem with lots of advertising it feels like to be honest it's written by white middle-aged men yeah for sure I think that's part of what comes across as so inauthentic with a lot of these things is that like rather than it seeming like a natural like here is a couple that happens to be black and they're doing whatever they're just walking around and they're showing off the 
outfit of the product that you're trying to sell versus like if you have a black couple, you have to somehow make it about diversity and then make it like does it target Black History Month? And then is that when you do your big push? Like it should be more integrated than that. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of think it shouldn't be about that. It should be about the talent that you've got available. Like mm-hmm. I always do an uh, Old Spice ad with. Um, oh, yeah. You know, you know, look at me, look at him. I think that could easily have been a white guy. It could have been anyone. But they mm-hmm. just found this guy that was perfect. He had the voice, he had the physique, and he had, they had the humor to it. And mm-hmm. it never really occurred to me that he was black, to be honest. That sounds like a strange thing to say. It just didn't occur to me. It just felt right for the part. And it was hilarious. Exactly. And, uh, and I think that's what it should be. That's what um, that's what I, where ideas should be. And it should be the, the, the cast and the ideas should be stemmed from from really uh, where, where you're trying to exploit the idea. Um, if the idea is meant to be something to do with diversity, then so be it. And you really need some insights that reflect that. But if mm-hmm. it's there just to, to bring to life and connect with a community, it should just do that as, to the max. Yeah. And, um, and as whatever degree that helps. And I mean, that's why I love the Nike London ad. And I was, I thought straight away when I saw that, even though it wasn't written by um, black guys, I felt like it was written from somebody from my community. And I was grateful for that. And the same thing with the IKEA one, because it just had a sense of humor that I'd never even seen on TV, much really outside of, you know, sitcoms and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I've never seen an ad, and I was just like, brilliant, well done. You know, the whole feel of it felt like it was at last reflecting some part of my culture as opposed to just this deluge of stuff that looks like it has been written by. And I'm not saying these guys can't write. That's the point. I think these guys can write. But I think you also need people that really do have insights from these communities and and it just makes it far more entertaining to not just be shown the same old same old yeah for sure it makes it feel real and like it can actually resonate with a viewer because you're like oh this is how i see myself i see my my friends my family we're, we're reflected in this commercial right now it's just like the ikea grime one as well it just felt really funny and you felt at last someone's and i felt quite gutted when i and quite annoyed when I saw it, because I thought, oh, I wish I did that first, <laughs> you know, because I wanted to do something like this. Yeah. You're trying to get to buy into this and, you can, you know, you could see people going, oh, well, only a, a niche about a, um, uh, a small amount of people who really do listen to things like grime and stuff. And I was saying, it doesn't matter. It's just funny. It's just like it, it, it works. It's like in the same way uh, opera is appropriate for a certain piece. It should be the same way, but unless you've got people willing to make those arguments and willing to to be involved in this in, in this way and under, have an understanding of the community, you can get things crossed and things missed out. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess to kind of close this out, uh, you talk in your piece about an era of post-racial advertising, and you note that we're pretty far from it. What What do you think that kind of world would look like? I mean, I, I, I really don't. I think it's, it's a dangerous one, this, because mm-hmm. what I don't want is a checklist of people like going, right, that's in, that's in. It was written by yeah. this person. Therefore, that feels like where madness lies. I do think it's closer to it. What, like I was saying with the old spice ad, where you just it, it just feels like it's 
whoever's written this does has no bias other than trying to make this the most impactful, talked about and loved campaign, therefore loved by the brand. You need you need people who can mirror the society that uh, be able to yank out emotions and humor and and insights that that feels like it's reflecting me. And I think a lot of the advertising that you see around, like I said, feels like it was reflected by a very small group of people, very small group who are just pumping this stuff out. And and therefore, it's why people fast forward through ads nowadays because they're not being shown anything that they haven't seen before mm-hmm. and that what is a very small group of felt felt like it's been written strategies all come from some one one particular house yeah and and that makes people feel excluded makes people feel like this is not aimed at me this is not talking to me and slightly patronized that you're trying to sell something to me that is not really, you know, designed with any, with any um, real insight or humanity to to me and my headset. Yeah, it, it's like taking it to that next, like we were saying before, the next natural step where it's like you don't even think about it. You're just like, oh yeah, obviously this is how this ad should look, and this is how it resonates with me and my friends and my community. Yeah. It shouldn't. You shouldn't kind of be asked any questions in your mind. You just say that just works, and you can't wait to tell your friends about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when a good, great ad is there. When you just you find you feel yourself compelled to share it with others. You know, it becomes a viral before you know it. As yeah. Opposed to you you just can't. You're you're bored by it. Why would you share it? Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us about this and uh for those who haven't read trevor's piece you can find it in our voice section it's the rundown on racism within the industry and why it's still happening and it's one of our top hits from last year so thank you again trevor my pleasure have a great one thank you bye bye now our last conversation is with judy jackson wpp's first ever global head of culture and adrian c smith who is the first ever global director of inclusion and diversity at the agency They co-wrote an article together called Delivering an Authentic Black Experience in Advertising Means Reflecting the Real World. Hi, ladies. Hi, Hi. Nicole. Good to see you. Good Good to to be here. Yeah, thank you for coming. Um, So, yes, I'm Judy Jackson, and I am the first global head of culture for WPP, and it's been an exciting year thus far. Hi, my name is Adrienne C. Smith, and I am the first global director of inclusion and diversity, and it's been almost a month now. And Judy, why did you call this inclusion and diversity? I think that's a planted question. It is. You know, I've worked in this business quite a long time, and I've struggled with how we've not really moved the needle around, quote, diversity and inclusion. And one of the things that I've learned is that in order to truly create a diverse workplace, you have to have an inclusive culture. So I I believe inclusion comes first, create that groundwork where people want to be, where people can thrive, and the diversity will follow. So hence, you have been named our first global director of inclusion and diversity. 
I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. We're making history. We are making history. Black History Month. Black History <laughs> Month. Very on theme for us right now. And thank you so much again for coming. Uh, we're going to talk about your article that you wrote for our February 24th issue. So not quite live yet at the time of this podcast going up, but it's called Delivering an Authentic Black Experience in Advertising Means Reflecting the Real World. So can you ladies just tell me a little bit about like what inspired you to write it and what the article is about? I write a lot, if you check out my LinkedIn, uh, a lot about authenticity. Um, I think for me, it's been a real passion of mine to create a place where people can be their true selves as best they can in the workplace. And I thought for Black History Month, it was compelling to, to talk about if you could be really authentic and black at work. And what does it take to do that? Um, I think we're at a point now where we can be much more honest about our feelings and how we experience work. And I wanted to put it out there that it is hard for anyone, for everyone to be authentic at work. We all carry baggage or carry our own personas or differences. I think for us as black people, you know, we walk in the door where our difference is obvious. And it can be uncomfortable, both for us as well as the audience in which we work with. I just wanted to acknowledge that and talk about what we can do to honor our authenticity and to make sure people know that it is important to look for that, to fight for that, to ask for that, to expect that, because the more authentic we can be, the better we will be. That's great. And Adrian, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I agree 100% with Judy's statement about, you know, when you walk in the door, you know, I as an African-American woman, when you walk, when I walk in, you see that I'm a black woman. You see those two things that sometimes in the industry we struggle with being inclusive of women and of people of color. And for me, being my authentic self sometimes means I have to get past that and not even think about being a black woman, but being my best self and proving I can do the work. So, you know, we don't think about those differences until I show up. So that's where my proof point becomes is the delivery of the work. Mm hmm. And what do you think like a perfect, not perfect, but I don't know if that exists, but like an authentic workplace experience would look like for you both? Um, I think it starts with leadership, you know, with leaders, um, you know, being themselves, inviting people to have their opinions, being open to listening and creating a forum where um, acceptance is part of the culture. You know, I think we have to, you know, demonstrate that it's okay. I remember um, working in an agency not even that long ago, and I had, and I wear braids now, and I was wearing braids that day, and, you know, another woman came up to me and said, oh, my goodness, now I can wear braids. I can wear braids because you wear braids. And I thought, I think at the time it was like, you know, 2000, 2016, and I thought, uh, are we still talking about that <laughs> in advertising? Um, but, you know, even now in my company at WPP, I think people are hesitant to bring their true self. They're thinking about, is it okay to, you know, wear certain jewelry? Is it okay to wear my hair a certain way? Is it okay to speak up? Um, you know, will my opinions be heard? And I think the first thing is that we as, as leaders have to set the example and be comfortable having tough and honest conversations. And I find that, you know, working in HR, sometimes even managers are afraid of, oh, what should I say to someone, you know, black, I don't want to offend them, mm -hmm. or someone with whatever difference they have. And we have to find a way to treat people with kindness and honesty and not be afraid that someone is different than us. 
I agree. I'd say, you know, not being leadership is critical in this process. Um, we have to make sure that there's not an air of where people are constantly minimized because of, you know, they're not in the room. Um, their voices aren't being heard. So when we create environments for people to be inclusive, that means that various stages of people have to be included in the room, various levels, if you will, so that they can see that their voices are valued, um, their contributions will be accepted, and we can move forward as a collective group. So I think all of that is definitely important. And I think, you know, Although this is about Black History Month, you know, when any voice is not heard, you have the introvert in the room. You have the person that you know that they have something to say, um, but they're not contributing and making sure you honor them in an appropriate way. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think all of us, not just leaders, but all of us have a responsibility to make sure other voices are heard. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the same for each person. Like, Mm -hmm. Like you said, with an introvert, maybe... It's giving them an opportunity in another way to shine mm-hmm. and, like, really amplifying them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I feel like one of the conversations that we've had in these few interviews that we've done for this episode is that it really comes from the top down and then that reflects through the agency's campaigns. And then you start to see ultimately an uh, an ad that starts to reflect real life, the way that we live real life and the way we see it. And people get to feel like, oh, there's me, there's my friends, there's my community and my family up on the screen right now, not just like something I don't relate to at all. Um, Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, I I think some of the ads even, you know, that we've done um, at WPP, you know, VMLYNR, for example, I loved, I don't know if you remember seeing it, um, the Bumble ad with Serena Williams. Yeah, yeah, I love that one. And when an ad uh, can touch your heart as well as your head, you know, I think that's what we want. We want to inspire change. We Mm want to inspire people to think differently, to learn. Yeah. Um, And not just sell, you know, a piece of goods. So I'm proud that we have an organization that keeps that at the heart. Our Tommy Hilfiger acts, uh, you know, which deals with, uh, you know, uh, people who are challenged, who who are maybe physically challenged and, and promoting that kind of attire. I love it when agencies try to do work that helps us think about the world differently and teaches us some lessons. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And um, are there any other brands that you're seeing, like, during Black History Month and outside of Black History Month that you feel are starting to make campaigns that feel more inclusive and that you, you like, kind of are seeing and you're like, oh, this, what a relief or this is really refreshing? Yeah, I would say the ad that we had in the Super Bowl done by David in Miami that was by Budweiser called Typical American, but what it showed was ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And I think that is what we really want when we see ads and we want to connect to brands. And we want to see more ads like that. Are there any other brands outside of Bumble and Budweiser that you've seen, Judy, that you feel are doing maybe a great job? I love the Tommy Hilfiger ads, um, which is focusing on adaptive attire and clothing. And um, it's the work that was done by Wonderman Thompson. It is also done by someone who uses adaptive attire, which is even mm. more remarkable yeah. as a woman. So I'm really proud of that work and, and, you know, what it's doing to change the way we think about even clothing. Yeah. No, that's that's amazing. I've seen their uh, ads on Facebook and stuff. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, this is really... I mean, I would use it. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and is there anyone that you feel like you've seen? I, I think earlier this month, we saw Barnes & Noble kind of make like a bit of a misstep. Is there anything else that you've seen that you're hoping the brand can, like, bounce back from maybe some sort of misstep they've made, 
either during Black History Month or earlier in the year? You know, I think I think there are always lessons, and mm-hmm. I'd rather focus on the lessons that we all learn from those things. And I think what we've learned is that we need to have not only inclusive teams that are working on these kinds of um, you know ads or products, but we also have to make an environment where those teams can tell can say their voice, can have their mm-hmm. voices heard. Because it's one thing to have a room of diverse individuals, but if they don't feel that their voice is welcomed, you're not moving the needle. Yeah. So I think the it's it's less about where people went wrong, but it's more about reminding us of what we need to do right. Yeah, that's a good point. And do you have anything you'd no. like to Okay, great. Okay. Um, and um, <laughs> I think to close us out, we can kind of just focus on, like, what are the next steps for agencies and for brands? Like, how can we take the conversation that you're starting with your article and like really move it forward? I think having more conversations. (laughs) You know, one of the things that I am trying with bringing Adrian on board and the team that I'm building is making sure that our team is not in a silo, Mm. that we're not, oh, that's done by the culture group or that's done by Adrian and inclusion and diversity uh, folks, that this is done, what we do is done by all of us. We may be the agitators, we might be the facilitators, we might be the people that will help bring those ideas to the surface, but we need our leaders, we need our talent leaders, we need our employees, we need our ERGs to all be part of the conversation. And the more that we can have conversations with individuals and encourage them to not only have the, hey, you're doing a good job, but also have the conversations that are a bit tougher. Uh, we have to remove the fear. So I, th- I think our campaign is making sure people understand that we're all part of the solution mm. and come to the party. That's great. Yeah. And dance when you get to the party. That's what <laughs> want to do. Our theme music is by Home. This episode was edited by Liam McGivney and produced by Nicole Ortiz. Audio production by Josh Rios. Please take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. Welcome to Elevating the Human Experience from Deloitte Digital. Your brand relationships really aren't that different than your personal relationships. Tim Grulick, Managing Director at Deloitte Digital, explains that when it comes to brands, what consumers really care about is being listened to and being heard. I heard a quote somewhere, and I don't remember the person who said it, but the quote was, Times change, people change, how we interact with others change, but the principles and how we build relationships don't change. This is so true, and even more so in today's digital age. With more interactions becoming more digital and less human, we've been seeing customers longing for a sense of connectedness to people and organizations they do business with. It's the longing for connectedness, and more specifically, a relationship with a brand that presents brands with a unique opportunity to create or restart relationships with their customers. In fact, as a part of the study, we asked customers what type of relationship they wanted with the brands they do business with, and almost 75% respondents said a two-way relationship. It's not surprising that customers want and expect a two-way relationship, but what is surprising was the fact that three in four people expected the relationship to be a listen-and-be-heard relationship. Establishing this kind of relationship is hard for companies to do, and most organizations talk to customers through marketing interactions, but fall down when really listening to customers and interacting with them on the initial marketing promise. This two-way relationship is fast becoming an expectation and an expectation that will cause customers to leave or switch brands if not addressed. Listening and being heard is a fundamental principle of building a relationship, both with friends as well as customers. It's also proven that building systems and processes that mirror human communication patterns and experiences 
enhance brand loyalty. This is our back to the future moment. With customers telling us that they want more human-like connections and interactions, it's imperative on organizations to create more emotionally intelligent enterprises that can create more human-like, more personal interactions, and ultimately, more emotionally connected, loyal customers. Want to learn more about elevating the human experience through emotion-driven engagement? Visit DeloitteDigital.com slash US slash Emotion Research for more insight.